I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is about the changes that we have to payment systems. Originally, we were going to talk about PCI v4, but we became interested in the intersection in augmented and virtual reality, metaverse, NFTs, and micropayments, uh, which definitely intersect with PCI, with how we handle process payments. Um, we had a fascinating conversation about how all of these technologies intersect and how one will actually drive the other. Uh, I know you will get a lot out of it and the conversation will shift as you listen to it. Um, we definitely go to some fascinating places. Enjoy it. I've had a couple of conversations the last couple of weeks about using Jenkins inside of DevOps organizations. And like when I've talked to people about, about like their DevOps stack, they, they never mentioned, like I've, I've been doing this for years and nobody's ever said, oh yeah, Jenkins. And like somebody, like somebody said, oh yeah, we have a Jenkins server for, for GitOps or for orchestration or something like that. And then I started being like, really? That's that's weird. And they're like, no, we've been doing it for a long time and I've been pulling people. It turns out like everybody we talked to at some point has been like, oh yeah, we have this Jenkins server, but nobody ever thought about it. We controlled it or managed it. Like we didn't think of it as part of the process, which strikes me as really weird. Um, but it's been escaping all the DevOps conversations I've been in. And now it, I'm asking people, it seems ubiquitous. So I'm curious if, People agree that it's something that, that they've seen in practice. Um, if not, should it be? Like, are you talking where, about specifically for in, in terms of are you talking about the build or the deploy? Or? No, actually, not the build. Like, like, right, right. like this is actually people who've taken a, a, a Jenkins server and then and they use it to it. build the, the, Git, the GitOps post image packaging. Part of right. the process to or, or to or to connect like a serve like like I finished provisioning and I have to connect in another system, like like they're using it as an orchestrator because yeah. it's a general yeah. purpose tool. So we definitely see some aspect of that um, for sure. But one of the I think this is one of the things that is kind of we talked about this before. I think here right is that CI and CD are are truly separated at most of the larger organizations that we've worked with. Um, they're not the, the, the same tool. They're not the same organization that owns it necessarily. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, there's, there, I think there's a, a searching of the right technology to use for deployment. Although in the Kubernetes space, that search is probably a little bit less. Uh, you know, there's, there's there's probably more mature choices in the Kubernetes space than there are for, say, deploying the bare metal. Um, and so Jenkins works really, really well if you have to string a bunch of things together. But if you if, if you use something like Jenkins, you're kind of hard coding per app what that process is in a lot of ways. Um, and so things like what Cartographer does begin to say, well, look at it more as a set of sort of services that can be chained together for different workload types. Um, 
that uh, acts more like maybe like a, I guess the best analogy would be like a freeway, you know, where, where everybody comes on the on-ramps and they go off the off-ramps when they get to their destination. Um, I hope, I, I hope that makes some sense, but, but we're seeing definitely see Jenkins, but we also see the issues with Jenkins at scale. And so we're starting to see people looking for alternatives to those issues. Jenkins is the tool that everybody knows, but no one admits that they've used in the past. Um, there's, there's a certain amount of stigma associated with, with Jenkins. And, and it's not completely unwarranted because mm -hmm. Jenkins, as it was a couple of years ago, it, it, it did not lend itself well to declarative configuration. They, they, they made improvements since, uh, and, and they're working on, on additional improvements. But it, it still, the, the, like the bottom line is still that, that Jenkins is a relatively old stack, and it is still fairly GUI oriented, uh, and that is where it, it it has been in many cases superseded by the declarative pipelines, like what you can do in GitLab or or, or GitHub Actions or Concourse or Drone or any one of those. Now, going specifically to the topic of Jenkins for GitOps, um, I feel like it's probably a, when, when people talk about that, they probably talk about using, doing declarative configuration with, or declarative pipelines with Jenkins, which again, it is possible, I, I've done it, um, but it's still missing the key part in GitOps, which is continuous reconciliation. Jenkins is event-driven, and uh, it, it, do, it does not do the, reconciliation, uh, the continuous reconciliation unless you set up a, like a, a cron job to do it. That, that makes sense to me. I guess, I mean, the, the thing that both of you are saying that, that is confirming this to me, though, is that there are like we've been stuffing Jenkins into this role, but then like doing it quietly. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I hear people talk about Terraform and Ansible and Puppet and Chef, right? But all the dev, all the classic DevOps tools over and over again. The thing that's weird to me is like, I, 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 no, I just got back from a DevOps days. There was no like, you know, managing your Jenkins server better. It's like a stealth technology in people's infrastructure. A lot of people, it feels like plumbing in the sense of obviously there's nuance to it, but for a lot of folks, the thought becomes those, the pipeline becomes interchangeable in the sense of I can run a pipeline to get up actions or Jenkins or wherever it might be. There's not a lot of focus there. Um, obviously once you get into the actual details, it is quite difficult to swap unless you've done something like containerize your actual executions or some of those, those very intentional aspects to where you can easily swap Um, yeah. I think the other, another part of it is that the developers were driving all of CI and CD at the beginning of the DevOps like explosion, right? I mean, the whole idea was the Netflix model of if you if you write it, you you run it. Um, in a large enterprise, that doesn't scale super with many 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 applications that doesn't scale as well, and so um, having a whole bunch of different. Uh, tools and processes that do deployment 
starts to fail. But I think Jenkins showed up because developers drove it, I'm guessing. And I'm sorry, Rocky, I probably talked over you. I apologize. Well, I was just going to say that essentially, like you said, came out of the developer world. And it's essentially a legacy that is probably not particularly well documented. And it's useful to people. So there's no drive to remove it from the system, even though it's legacy. And there's no money to actually document it. So it just exists there as something that's always been there for a lot of these places because it did come out of the developers and it was just easy to to toss the tool with all the developer work in it to ops and let them just keep it running. I, I would actually disagree about it coming mostly of the developer world. And that is because, I mean, I... This could be subjective, but but developers that uh, I've met um, are historically very um, very resistant to to writing pipelines. They, they they want to write their code, they they want to compile it, and and then they want to hand it off to to, to someone else to to do the rest of the job. Um. Having said that, uh, yes, it, I, I agree with you, Rocky, that it, it that the environments that do have Jenkins do have it because of legacy reasons. Uh, I, I don't think anyone who looks at existing CI/CD um, systems would pick Jenkins as the first choice. It is perhaps the the most well known one, but but it's it's very obviously not the not the best choice at the moment so do you think that there's um like i'm just i'm I'm using jenkins more as a placeholder and that there's really a variety of of servers sitting here doing the orchestration role inside of ops environments and we we just aren't talking about it which I, i mean i could totally see that whenever we talk ci we we talk jenkins like systems Jenkins is, is the prototypical CI server. That's correct. That is and correct. it comes out of release management as opposed to ops. So it's literally this group that, again, has visibility to developers to on one side and a totally different visibility to operations on the other side. And a lot of places when they went CICD thought they were removing release management, but they were just grabbing their tools and eliminating the people. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the truth of the matter is, is that most organizations will tell you what they use Jenkins for is the CI portion. And then they use some form of infrastructure as code for the CD portion. But in reality, um, it would not surprise me if developers who were given, you know, if you shift left as much of that deployment and operations piece of it to the developers, that some of them would just use Jenkins to extend the automation. In many cases, it might well be that Jenkins is the the one actually running Ansible jobs or or Terraform. Right, exactly, exactly. I think this is where my head's going. Well, but, and also, but, there's a date, you know, Jenkins and Ansible or Terraform and Ansible are not particularly even day two or reactive tools. So if you're like, okay, I need to stop 
when this happens, I need to take this action. Those neither of those tools is good at that. So, you know, if, if it seems you know, what what it what all of a sudden I was and only because I was looking for it, like where's the orchestration happening? That when people have like a day two, oh, I need to take you know something happened, I need to take this action. Then they're, they're using Jenkins as the broker for that. I mean, I could see like stack, a stack storm or something else doing it, but Jenkins is more flexible. Um, it's because it's already there. That's that's usually the, the natural process is that I need somewhere to run something. Jenkins is already here. Obviously, you mentioned Stackstorms in the space, Rundex in a similar space, but that then becomes another system I have to stand up. And so all too often, Jenkins ends up being a catch-all, which is why when you look at the list of plugins that Jenkins has, where it starts to become a little unwieldy in terms of Jenkins can be that Swiss army knife for a lot of things it should not be used for. If, if you, if you want to use the best tool for the best job, I'll preface it with that. And the key is, is lots of folks have experience with Jenkins one way or another. And so it's easier to go to what you know, than it is to learn the right tool for the job. Uh, Rob, also, since you mentioned the day two operations, like I, I, I personally don't feel like, like Jenkins is a, a good use for that. Uh, because Jenkins by itself does not have uh, a way to hook into the day two events that, that you want to react to. Yes, it, it, it has webhooks that, and you can have another system trigger the, the, those webhooks based on events, but it's not something native to Jenkins. And it is a very cumbersome system. So you're, you're adding, you're starting to, to play broken telephone. If you start adding Jenkins into that, <laughs> that, that was that the, the sense. The sense I got was exactly what you're describing. Is that people like and every what, I, what everybody said resonates, right? It's there. I know how to use it. It's free. Like you know, and I just need to connect these you know, this hole to that hole. And, I, and Jenkins is a multi-purpose stuff and a tool to, to do it. Which is to me part of the reason why I think there's certain ops patterns where everybody does something, but nobody talks about doing it <laughs> because they all feel like it's not the best way to solve the problem or, or they must be the only ones who had to do this. And this is, has the, the feeling of that to me. Um, you know, it's interesting with that, Rob, is so one of the things that we're seeing a lot of and one of the reasons why um, why Tensor Application Platform is, is getting some of the traction it's getting right now is release engineering teams or um, or platform teams that have been using something like Jenkins for a period of time. And what they're running into is they don't have a organization scale way of interacting with these applications through those tools. They're designed to be a process for an application, right? Or a, you know maybe a, a, some process choices for uh, an application type, but in the end, it gets applied application by application. So if you have something like the, the log for shell vulnerability that comes in, you have to go find all the teams 
and all the applications and all the processes and, and figure out what you're going to do to, to counter that situation. Um, and so I think part of what you're seeing is that, is that it's a very team-centric approach. It's a very team and application-centric way of doing um, process automation. And so it doesn't escape to the organization layer. It doesn't escape to, oh, this is the way we do it at Ford, right? Because it's, it's still seen as, oh, this is what we do for this application. And yes, we have a team that helps build templates so we can do this for other applications, but it's still sort of application by application. Um, so I, you know, I'll throw that out there. I think part of what you're seeing is it, it doesn't get raised up to, oh, this is the way our company does things. Because yeah. frankly, it's still something that a team feels like they have to put together um, or work with a small number of other teams in order to run. It doesn't scale to an organization scale. That That's part of what, what got my radar up is that, you know, the people who I've heard talk about it all were, were talking about it sort of as it's not exactly clandestine or secretive, but it was it was to solve a problem or a couple of problems. And then it wasn't done in a scalable way or it wasn't done in an infrastructure as code way. Um, and so but yet it seemed, you know, so far and then y'all are only reinforcing this to me that it's 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 a pretty widespread practice. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think it, I don't think necessarily specifically the GitOps through Jenkins in the, the way that we mean GitOps today is necessarily as, as widespread. I, I may be wrong about that, but, but my sense is rather, because some, some folks have done GitOps directly off of, um, you know, uh, uh, using something like, um, Argo CD, like directly, you know, off of the the repository to run a uh, um, a Terraform job, right? And and that's I don't think people would call it GitOps, like the way the and that's what I'm I'm trying to yeah. explore. I think that people would would look at it as sort of custom orchestration or yeah, it's um, CI/CD, right? And CI/CD, where and I think in most cases, and please, everybody else correct me if I'm wrong, but my sense of, in my conversations with folks is it's an extension of the way when, when developers were trying to do the whole CI-CD chain themselves, Jenkins was involved in orchestration of processes that were beyond just building and packaging code. And that's why it's there. That's my sense. Right. Well, that, that's, I think you're making a distinction to me between the pipeline. Um, and the orchestration piece, because there's an event, there's an eventing component. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's I think, I think that's fair to say that the pipeline is, again, that CIC, CI and CD are separating, right, are pretty clearly yeah. separate. And so you have pre-packaging and post-packaging. Um, and so, yes, I think what I'm saying is the pipeline to package is one use of Jenkins. And they used to just extend that on and say, okay, once I have my package, go ahead and deploy it. But now in most organizations, there's a realization that no, we kind of need to, you know, version control the packaging in a sense, and and then orchestrate the deployment of that application depending on a lot more operational factors than development factors 
and do that separately. And so Dickens may still be there for some of that, but it's going to get replaced. Exactly. It's essentially the application developer that's used Jenkins to do the uh, CI part. And a lot of, and it's still a lot of developers' perspective of deployment is it's out there, it runs, it's in production, period, the end. It's just going to run. And so it's easy for them to extend Jenkins to do that initial deployment when it actually needs to be integrated with an ops uh, zero through two day kind of thing. And so it's the the whole packaging and, and release management that needs to change on the back end that for the companies that are still using that, that format. It's they haven't really migrated to the full mindset of GitOps. It's still there's a release process that that they think they have control of. I think there's a, a couple of things at play here. So there's there's scenarios where we're talking the traditional dev shop, so to speak. There are also a number of organizations. I think Rob, you were hitting at hitting at a little bit of organizations that actually don't have developers that still have infrastructure and are using things like a Jenkins to facilitate deployments of actual infrastructure and management there. So I think there's aspects where it's a situation where there's use of Jenkins as just a pure orchestrator, not even thinking about in the sense of the traditional CI, CD, where we're talking about application development, where Jenkins is useful as a platform to actually orchestrate things from an, a systems administration standpoint, shall I say, to avoid conflating the, the use of the term ops in this particular context. That's a good point. I, you're, you're saying you're, I agree with what you're saying and, and, and you're, you're hitting at what I'm, what I've been trying to articulate too, which is that, that, you know, cause it's not all just, Hey, I took code. I deployed it. It is all of this, op, this system administration work, you know, distributing patches, making things sure things are done. Uh, you know, just doing a simple inventory or a, a conformance check. Um, you know, or when somebody files a ticket, you know, being able to say, all right, you know, if I think these systems are impacted, can I go pull a log? You know, you can, like, those are simple things to automate um, if you have a, an orchestration tool to do it. Um, I, I just, I, it's, I mean, you're hitting good use cases for this. So I'd like to point out yeah. uh, in some ways the bugaboo in the, uh, OpenStack ops folks kind of hit the, the Jenkins things. They were using Jenkins and they migrated away into what they call Zool and eventually eliminated all of Jenkins from their structure. But it was learning how Jenkins was more of an impediment and taking the good parts of Jenkins and el eliminating the parts that really weren't particularly useful for CICD. So OpenStack did it in a painful long-term way, but lots of, lots of corporate entities don't have the luxury, the bandwidth, or the resources to do that. Slight, slight digression too. Um, we need to make a big differentiation between Jenkins 
so just Jenkins and Jenkins X, which oh, even though it, sh- it shares the same name, it is a completely different thing. Jenkins, te- Jenkins X heavily leverages Tecton. Um, and, and yes, like it, it, it may be built on top of Jenkins, but, but it, it is fundamentally a different stack. So I'm not familiar with the difference. Okay, Jenkins is the prototypical CI pipeline platform. So you, it, it gives you like authorization, it, it gives you webhooks, it gives you pipelines that can trigger other pipelines that you, that you can build. You can build artifacts and either store them in Jenkins badly or store them elsewhere. Uh, Jenkins X is um, probably the best to do to, to, to think of it as a complete ground up refactor of Jenkins. So they took their lessons learned. They they said, okay, we want to implement GitOps with trying to reuse the tools that we have. So the so they took the, the building blocks that made up Jenkins uh, and, and, and started writing a new tool, which is Jenkins X, which is cloud native. Jenkins, for the most part, you see it running running primarily on, on on-prem. So so again, like it's they they, they share this, the same DNA, but they're fairly separate on on the evolutionary tree of CICD. Do you think has do you think that people have been migrating? Because it's interesting. I, from that perspective, I don't hear people talk about Jenkins X, Jenkins X, Jenkins X. Um, I think some people may have been migrating. Okay. Personally, I I think a lot of the Jenkins user base has been shifting away. To, towards more holistic systems like GitLab, like uh, GitHub, um, like e- even even Azure DevOps. Um, the, these are all. I mean, at the core, there are CI/CD pipelines, but they have so many features added and bolted on that, like the, they're they're we're, we're where Jenkins is like the, I don't know, the, the your very basic car for four wheels and, and, and four tires and a steering, steering wheel kind of thing. Uh, all of these other ones have all of the, the bells and whistles that, that make them more attractive on, uh, on the entry level scale. And, and Jenkins X does try to aim for that. Uh, personally, I think they kind of missed the mark because, like, being Tecton based, they, they do have a kind of heavy footprint. Uh, but uh, I'm sure that uh, 
there there are some environments who who do prefer this kind of stack. I think one of the things to your point, right? So I, I've been—I can't remember if I said that to this group, but I've been saying everywhere lately. Look, if you're going to build a platform that developers want to use, you have to do two things, and you have to do both of them. You have to reduce toil, the unnecessary or the, the necessary work that doesn't add value but just makes things possible, and you have to reduce risk. The, the possibility that you're going to do something that is going to either generate more work or is going to create trouble uh, in some way. And I think where people are moving in terms of these platforms is to platforms that are, are conscious about that, that have either pre-done integrations or make it easier, less toil, less risk to integrate the tools necessary. Um, you know, one of the big things that I think you'll see over the next five years is um, is uh, compliance automation becoming more and more possible, A, and B, integrated into, um, into uh, CICD chains. And then, so make that less, you know, make that less work. And one way to do that is to have the services already integrated and ready to go. So Azure DevOps, I think, fits that mold really, really well. Um, and I think uh, um, both Git uh, Lab and GitHub are looking at building an ecosystem around their environments where things are ready to go and easy to consume. Um, and then I think what you have is, um, uh, you know, for for as well in terms of reducing risk is, um, you know, you need the ability to both not create problems like security problems or the things you think of when you think of the word risk, but also the ability to adapt in the future. That you know that that the future isn't a risk to what you're doing, and so um, they're looking for I wouldn't say managed in the sense of um, of you know hosted and and kind of delivered to you, but managed in the sense of there's a vendor who's consciously thinking about the evolution, what it means when new tools or new approaches come into play, and those things can become available to be consumed uh, reasonably easy by by folks that want to consume it, and so you know as it is probably not surprising moving towards either a cloud model or moving towards a shared services model uh, within an organization to do these kinds of things rather than, you know, every team kind of builds their own tool chain um, because it reduces toil, reduces the amount of work that developers have to do. And it reduces risk because the organization can address risks when they're known and, uh, and put in guardrails that prevent those risks in the future. I, I really like your summary with this, um, right? Because I, I think it, you're entirely right. You know, toil and risk are, are two things that developers <laughs> work really hard to avoid. But I, I do appreciate the added piece here of some type of, you know, managed. Um, I, I I agree. You, you were stumbling on managed. I, I agree with you. Managed is like not exactly right. It's not mm -hmm. curated either. Like because developers use libraries. When you expect that you're going to be able to keep getting updates and patches of your library and count on it not breaking you. And so as things happen, you're going to expect that whatever platform you're using is going to have, have some degree of community uh, evolution. Sure. I think 
curated works, if you think about it in terms of a curated ecosystem, which yeah. includes curating the interfaces that allows the ecosystem to grow and adapt to new use cases. So um, I think to me, you know, the, the, the other thing that a platform needs to be successful is an ecosystem that consumes it. Yeah. Right. So, so one of the reasons Kubernetes is so damn successful is because there's a huge ecosystem of things that do CRDs and that consume or, or, or do use other forms of the core API and essentially consume Kubernetes to deliver capacity for whatever function it, it's, um, it's providing. And therefore, there's a broadening of use cases where it's low, lower toil for developers, they may not even know Kubernetes is under it. I think um, I was in a part of an O'Reilly Radar event this morning uh, and and uh, uh, Kelsey Hightower was the other, kind of the other headliner and and Kelsey was saying, look, he goes, you know, the best, the best tools that have been built from Kubernetes are the ones where the users of those tools don't even know Kubernetes is, is involved. And um, so I think that that ecosystem thing is huge here. And when you look at building tool chains, you know, can I find a code scanner that I don't have to figure out how to write the integration using the API of the, the code scanner, right? Can I find a, um, and I, I was talking about compliance automation, right? I, I think there's policy automation pieces that are beginning to be adapted to do certain compliance checks, but there's also, um, vendors out there that are trying to address certain compliance regimes directly by, you know, maintaining separation of duties by by you know providing other capabilities with automation around it, um, and so that ecosystem of things being kind of brought into play, I think, is really critical as well um, for the direction things are going in. And you know, for as many developers as I hear going, I don't want anybody to restrict what I can do with my tool chain. I don't. I want to be able to do everything up to production and own it all. Um, we hear probably ten times as many who go, "I just want to check in my code and have a go." Right? I, I don't care how you do it. Just when I check in my code and you accept my pull request, then it should be running in production. Next thing I know, and uh, and so getting to that state where an organization can address that. Um, it does require more sort of managed elements that, from a developer's perspective, are completely taken care of. But does that eliminate the, the ops tooling on the other side? Because I, I agree with you. No. This is what I think. I think GitOp, Git, Git, GitOps is this ultimate statement to the developer's API. But you know, no, I think. In the back end, they're, they're, you actually have to operate, manage the systems. There's still stuff going. Right, but but the the model that Kubernetes is bringing us towards it seems to be what a lot of people like, and and frankly, what Mark Burgess did all those years ago with the uh, CF Engine that was copied by Chef and Puppet in their own ways, right? Is reconciliation, right? So day two becomes a reconciliation to an expected state. Problem is those those aren't good orchestrators. Is I think the right. where that's Rob what, is getting that's to. That's what I'm sort of saying, right? They're not. They're there's. They're not orchestrators. Those are. Those have a um, a reconciliation loop, an operational loop that's sort of running constantly. That's, that's right. making sure that things are reconciled to the norm, and I think um, so. 
people, you know, even people who use Jenkins as deploy software, I think once it's deployed, they don't use Jenkins, as far as I know, to react to negative situations because that would be a bitch. <laughs> I, I would, I would, if somebody was do, forcing me to do that, I'd probably quit that job. Well, they do from from a systems administration standpoint. It's yeah, it's a platform. And that's the the challenge that from which is why I, I I'm using the term systems administration very specifically to mm-hmm. not bring it into the the more DevOps e space, so to speak. Because if, to Rob's point, if I do need to patch something or I do need to to automate a sequence of events that isn't tied to Kubernetes, it's bare metal, it's virtual machines, right, 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 it's right. it's all the other things, and, and it's it's that gap of what's the platform for that. Yeah, and so you can use Jenkins to say, okay, I can automate the process of deploying over and over again and do upgrades and do, you know, blue green rollovers. You could probably build all that, but the problem of reconciling (laughs) something going down and fixing that problem, Jenkins would be horrible for that. Right. And this is, this is, this is why I'm, I'm scratching my head in the people are, are plugging it in because it's available to do some of this work. To do that deployment piece of it. But I, I would, I, 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 I think, I think it's getting more use than that because it's there and it, yeah. it, it can be adapted. That's yeah. And the, so not just for, for the context of developed in-house apps. So let's say I get a commercial off-the-shelf application and as right. a system administrator, I need to deploy that app. How do right. I care and feed for that? Right. Every night you have to do some purge cycle or check the logs or do some cleanup action. Right. I mean, that's right, right. normal. Even on stuff you wrote, you're like, okay, I need to know that every night I need a job that cleans up the whatever, right? That's not a chef or puppet thing. It's actually, I love what you were saying. You were, you were describing those products as using a reconciliation loop versus orchestration. Right. Um, and, right. and so the, the things that, you know, even putting something on a timer is more orchestration than, than a reconciliation. Loop. Yeah. So if you're running a batch job, I could see it being, you know, being that being really, really normal. It, it, this is the, you know, this is the comp, this is where it gets really interesting in terms of maturity of approaches. Um, because I could see, like, if you're still thinking in terms of, hey, I should initiate all action in the system, even if something goes wrong, um, then, then all this makes a ton of sense. And and if you're saying, well, I have to run this job every night in order for my systems to have enough space to, you know, I have to clear logs so that my systems will keep running because of, of disk space. That all that makes sense. I, I could see doing that with Jenkins uh, without too much trouble. I, I just think if you look at day two operations as maintaining availability and maintaining performance, then, uh, then I get like, oh man, that's ugly, right? And that, there are way better options out there today um, that are that are not that even the ones that aren't necessarily Kubernetes based that are much better at doing reconciliation. Well, that because the challenge like Chef is that Puppet and I don't I don't think there are a lot of options. That's Chef true. Puppet and Ansible aren't Ansible is a good orchestrator. It can be manipulated to do that. So let's say I need to restart five servers and push out a patch to those servers and then do some checks after it's those things like that. If what's the platform, obviously Ansible becomes that tool, but where do I execute the Ansible from in a centralized fashion? Right. No. Okay. That's I mean, and that's, you know, I I, just a tiny plug for what I'm, for what I'm working on, right. The, 
that, that the idea behind cartographer is very much to look at this from a very different lens and say there ought to be you know sets of services that do key parts of what has to happen both in terms of deployment and in terms of day two um, but the general model is to coordinate a workload among a series of, of services that reconcile to uh you know to a, a desired outcome um and i just want to i i want to point out that this is actually a sign of the whole get ops and large ops maturing and that we're now talking mm -hmm. separately about reconciliation. We even have the term reconciliation, which wasn't even on the map a couple of few years ago, except in those folks' heads. They knew what it was, but they couldn't actually put it into to terms. The folks that have been doing the heavy lifting from you know, Martez and Klaus's per perspective that are in there day after day doing the work. So reconciliation is part of the maturation and a next mm -hmm. step to making the whole system actually operate well. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, James, would, yeah. would you be interested in walking us through what you're doing, cartographer? I'd love to hear it. If you want to yes. grab a Tuesday on the schedule and just put your name in. I'm not. A yeah, it's got to get on my schedule too, but I would yeah. be, if we can um, line one up, I would be oh. happy to come in and kind of talk through um you know oh, get, without, without making tuesday, it a, find me a tuesday at this time and and just let me know and i'll we'll, we'll arrange the schedule around okay. i'll take a look at the next few weeks here um and uh, i'll get back to you rob about that that, that would be delight i'd love to see it love to yeah, hear happy to talk to you guys through it it's, it's really interesting uh we think it's it's quite unique in a lot of ways it, it also there's you know it's new and nascent so there may be problems with it that we haven't um <laughs> run into quite yet but right. uh, um, but we are seeing a, a, a you know a, a very large amount of interest from uh, from both previous pivotal customers and from uh, new net new customers to uh, to dev this kind of approach to dev platforms uh, and largely because it's it's incredibly flexible and adaptable but we can also sell them a working solution out of the box to start with it's a lot like um like content management if any of you guys have worked with content management systems right everybody gets a content management system or buys it for microsoft or whatever nobody uses it as it comes out of the box everybody customizes the heck out of it and that's what we expect people are going to do with um with supply chains so just like jira too yeah yeah exactly it's very similar just like salesforce well that i mean and i think that's what a platform you know, this is what yes, I was pushing platform. at AWS that nobody took. This is what I pushed at AWS that, that I couldn't get them to take up on it right away was, um, look, a, a platform that will succeed in the long term is composable. And so what it ends up having to be is a box of parts that could be composed in numerous ways. But you don't sell the box of parts. You sell solutions to real problems that are built with that box of parts that people can then customize to their heart's content. And if they want to break glass, they can break glass and customize. Or if they want to build something from scratch with a box of parts, they can build something from scratch with a box of parts. But they have that flexibility to um, to own uh, sort of the final form that the platform takes in terms of the, the, the tasks that it does, the order those tasks happen, whatever it may be. 
And on top of that, they get support up to the level where they where they customize something, right? They get support that the the services will work and should work if they're put together in a way that that um, that the platform allows. Um, but if they want to build something totally custom, or if they want to just you know rip and replace a chunk of of the the uh, the choreographer engine or orchestrator or whatever it might be on the platform, um, then they take on more responsibility. Um, but they can do it if they want to. So I'll talk. I can talk more about that in more depth. No, this is this is great. Yeah, uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. And we are we are over time. So I appreciate everybody's insights on this. This has been one of those scratches, those itches I need to scratch yeah. and figure out what's going on. So thank so, you. All. Good discussion. Good discussion. Yeah, I like definitely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank y'all. Ciao. Cheers. Wow, what a fantastic conversation. This is the typical Cloud 2030 discussion where we start with one topic and bring in intersecting conversations uh, that really enrich how we think about identity, payments, uh, virtual reality, metaverse, NFTs, and uh, cryptos, uh, all clearly interconnected technologies. Uh, but the Cloud the, the cloud2030.cloud uh, is one of the few places that you're going to get to hear this type of conversation, but even more where you can participate in this type of conversation. Please join us. The 2030.cloud has all the details so you can be part of our roundtables and participate in the agenda. Talk to you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.